belief on suffering, um, kind of why is there suffering, why is there pain, uh, what's the point of it? Um, so over the next, uh, these next weeks, we are taking an honest and open look at the topic of suffering. I don't think a lot of people, it's not something that you go, yay, let's talk about that, but I think it's a reality in our lives that we must take a look at and to ask the Lord to come and speak to us and ask the Lord for His part in the midst of it. What do we do with it? Why is it there? Um, again, my goal isn't just to come up with pat religious easy answers to these questions, the questions of why. Uh, my hope and my prayer is this, as we walk into this, is that we draw closer to Jesus than we ever have, but to ultimately find Him in a deeper way, love Him more than ever, even in spite of suffering and pain. And so, as I said last week, with that, we're, we're going to look at suffering from a biblical perspective. We're going we're to look through the lens of Scripture and to kind of unlock, you know, we're not going to do an exhaustive study on every part of suffering that would probably take too long, but we are going to have a biblical perspective. It does no, no good to look at the subject of suffering from human reasoning, trying to figure out what's going on and try to come up with human answers to some of these questions. I mean, it's hard enough when you belong to the Lord and when you're walking with God. So we're going to look at biblical perspective. Again, when you look at the Bible, you see a lot of the Bible, there was a lot of suffering going on from the children of Israel and the things that they endured. Some of it brought on by themselves. Some of it was just uh, you know, the, the idea that they are, that they're walking through, walking in this broken world. You see the apostles walking through, and I, I talked about that last week, they, they, they all suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. And to them, it was somewhat normal. Suffering wasn't this idea of the absence of God, but suffering was actually a part of the package to them. You follow God, and there is an element of suffering in this life. And so last week, it was week one of the reality of suffering. This week, we're going to be looking at the cause of suffering. Kind of a, this key passage is where Jesus tells us in John 16, we'll go to that kind of key passage of probably the whole series. Jesus, before he was arrested, before he was crucified, he says to his disciples, a lot of different things. John 13, he watches the feet, probably tells him about being a servant. John 14, he tells him to take part, that he is going to, that he's going to get to a place for those who will belong to him, that they don't have to, um, you know, they don't have to fear. And then, you know, John 15 talks about abiding in Him, abiding in His love, that it's all about love. We cannot forget that Jesus loves us deeply. And He says, guys, remember, abide in my love. And all of these things that He's setting up to tell them, that they were going to need that for later on. And then John 16, this kind of famous passage that we're all familiar with, He promises, He said, in this world, in this world, in the reality of this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble, and you can take that word trouble and break it down. That's trials, suffering, pain, a, a myriad of different things that he's expressing there. And all of this, he was telling them because he was about to go to his arrest and ultimately his death. But they were, they were also going to need all of this. They were going to say, be a servant. Don't lose heart because I'm going to prepare a place for you. Abide in my love, remain in my love. When it gets the hardest, when it gets when you feel like giving up, remain in my love. That's John 15. John 16, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. 
I've overcome the world. And, and then last week I talked about how we take heart is ultimately that no matter how bad your suffering is, it is temporary in Christ. And that's something that we can take, take great hope in is that it is temporary. We can take heart because He has overcome the world. And He walks with us and He loves us. Notice He does not say you might have trouble in this world. He does not say, you'll have trouble unless you do this formula of X, Y, Z and pray this prayer and throw salt over your shoulder and jump up and down three times. He doesn't say that. He says, in this world, you will. It's a direct thing that you will have trouble in this world. So I want to kind of look a little bit about that today because people say, well, if we overcame the world, do we have trouble? And we're going to kind of dive into that, how, how what God does and how Jesus responds in our suffering. And next week is actually is, is how Jesus responds to our suffering. We'll jump into that more in detail next week. We talked about suffering taking on different forms. The obvious one when you're suffering, people think of a loss of a loved one, or having a disease, um, pain. When we go through death and suffering, even when you live a long, full life, there is an element of suffering at the end of it. I don't, I, you know, even if you live to a, you know, very old, rich in years, there's an element of suffering from passing from, from life to death. And so you have that idea of suffering. There's pain, there's you know, chronic pain, emotional pain, mental pain. Uh, one of the things that, you know, I talked to Jim about this the other day is, is, is a lot of times when people are going through emotional or, 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 or mental anguish of some sort, um, it, sometimes it's hard to see that, and, and, and what usually uh, accompanies that is aloneness. And a lot of people don't know when someone's hearing people that are hurting or suffering. And it may or may not be, and it could be from a traumatic event, but maybe it's just something that, they are, that they've been going through, and it's just mental anguish to all alone, so aloneness in that mental anguish of suffering. Sometimes it can be broken relationships, divorce effects our hearts and our emotions, financial burdens. The point is this, and, and again, I'm not going to give an exhaustive list and we could all go around here and share our stories, but none of us are exempt from it. We're all affected by that, by suffering either directly or indirectly. But then the good news, again, Jesus has overcome the world and because of that suffering is temporary. But in the midst of it, it's normal to ask questions. Last week we talked about the prophets and David, and they, those guys, they asked some very pointed questions to God. David you know, cried out to God several times, Dude, I fear me, I'll be turned a ear toward me. This is difficult. My enemies seem to triumph over me. What's going on? And he, he asked those questions a lot. But God is not intimidated by our questions. It's normal for us to wrestle and doubt and cross them. But with the why questions, at some point, at some time, the next thing we do is we look for a blame point, don't we? You were here for Tim and Allie a few weeks ago, and they shared about losing their four-month-old daughter and just suddenly and tragically. Um, Tim said something that was very, very interesting. He said, you know, the first thing you go you go through all these emotions and you have this anger and that you're looking for something or someone to blame. That's very normal. It's very normal to say we were trying to find a blame point, something to hold accountable for the suffering. Or at least we're looking to get some sort of answer to give me some peace or resolve in my heart. A lot of these times, a lot of times, again, if you don't 
sometimes get out of that at some point, it can lead people to blame God. And I think that even people wrestling, and Tim did do real, he wrestled with that, where he blamed God. And again, if, it's, if God, if you are powerful, if you are good, and you know everything, and you are over everything, why don't you do something? Why didn't you do something? Real questions when we are suffering, when people are suffering. For those who maybe have processed that, and maybe they get to a point where I don't want to blame God, we can tend, tend to try to figure out, you know, why we or someone else is going through this, and that can lead to torment. You're trying to figure out, and you're trying to do this, you know, evaluation of like I, if I did this, and it, it led to this, and so then it can. You know, lead to almost mental, emotional, spiritual torment. I didn't pray enough. I didn't have enough faith. I didn't pray the right way. That's sin in your life. If you've ever dealt with that and suffering, I believe God wants to lift that burden. That is a burden that you are not intended to carry. Jesus says that He loves us and He removes those burdens from our heart and our shoulders that we can't bear. If you have ever said that to someone, please repent now. Don't do that. Or if you would have, if you didn't have enough faith, that is just tragic if you're telling someone. So I want to look today, I want to kind of unpack a little bit of the causes of suffering. There are different ways that suffering happens. Let's look at the first one. There is sinful suffering. There's a reality to sinful suffering. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Paul writes this. He says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. There is a reality that you do reap what you sow. And we can't diminish that fact. If you live to please your flesh or do what you want to do, Paul says you reap, there's a destructive reaping that comes along with that. Suffering comes about when you or someone else sins and there was suffering as a result. Sometimes maybe you broke the law, you were speeding and you got caught. Don't rail at God if you're getting the guys writing you out a ticket. Oh, why? Why did I get this ticket today of all times? And because you were speeding. Maybe you suffer financially, but you are living way beyond your means. It can be a sinful suffering. You do something that you know isn't right, and you suffer for it. Again, these are not the times to shake our fist at God and say, why? So let me give you some good news on sinful suffering. God can still redeem. A while back I watched this uh, video. Um, Johnny Erickson taught us. He was doing, uh, uh, if you don't know, she was paralyzed from the, the neck down. And she has a ministry all over the world. And she was doing this program and, and kind of 
highlighting different people who are doing different things with their lives, different ministries, where they've taken bad circumstances and they've turned them to good. And, uh, and one was in this prison, and uh, the, 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 the prison warden is a Christian, and what he has developed in there within the prison system, they have allowed them to be trained, uh, they've been biblical training, um, and, uh, and so they're, they're, they're training some of the inmates in, 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 in the Bible and in raising them up and discipling them, and they focused on this one guy, uh, and I was distraught by his story. This guy is uh, he's in prison for life. And he talks about, he said, I'm making horrible decisions. That's why I'm in here. He said, but God is beginning to use my life. He's now an ordained minister, serving life in prison. But yet ministering to people on all of said, Now I know why I'm in here. And God has a purpose for me being here. He said, I'm free, although I'm behind bars. But yet I am ministering, and God is redeeming my sinful suffering for His glory. Isn't that cool? God can still redeem. Think of the thief on the cross. Remember that discussion, the two thieves that were crucified next to Jesus? And one is saying, hey, if you're the Son of God, why don't you get yourself off the cross and off too? And what does the other guy say? The other guy has this kind of moment with Jesus and he says, hey, why don't you leave him alone? He said, he does not deserve what he has. We do. He realizes we're, we're suffering here. There's a sinful suffering. We're on these crosses because we deserve it. He doesn't. And then he looks over at Jesus and he says, and, and I mean, we have a salvation moment. It's very powerful. Remember me when you go into paradise. And Jesus said, I tell you this day that you will be with me in paradise. And this guy who lived his life, uh, uh, basically we have no information on him, but you can only imagine that he lived broken, he embraced brokenness, and he made one bad decision after the next bad decision, and then ultimately his sinful suffering led him to a place where he was, was to be executed. And Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me forever. So even in sinful suffering, we find redemption. If you ever suffered, you have someone that's a loved one, a person that's suffering from a sinful choice, there's redemption in it. Hold on to that. The harder part of sinful suffering is when you are suffering as a result of someone else's sin. The drunk driver that hits on my loved one that we're just driving and, and, and minding their own business or on their way somewhere, they're injured, they're maybe paralyzed or killed. So it's someone else's sinful suffering. What does God do with that? What, what, what is the point of that? And we wrestle with it. Or how about abuse? Abuse of maybe a child or, or, or an innocent person. Jill talked about human trafficking and some of these people are kidnapped and they are taken into these horrible situations and it's someone else's sin that causes it. Someone's assaulted, someone's murdered for no apparent reason. These situations are probably the ones that are filled with the hardest of questions. Why did God allow it? Why am I or someone I love reaping the sin of another? Can God redeem that? And the answer is yes, to can. And, I, and again, I'm not just to throw it out there as a pat answer. 
I think if you were here for the movie, they said something very pointed. The guy said, you know, I don't get it. I don't understand why these things happen. Yes, there is a biblical idea of redemption. And yet, you know what? Even that answer may not be good right now, but at some point it will if you hang on. Another story that, uh, that was brought to my mind when I was thinking about this was in when I did jail ministry for the same of you guys heard this story, a young man that we did ministry, we, we would minister to juvenile delinquents and murderers, basically. They, were, they weren't in the general population of the county jail, so it was people that couldn't be, you know, go to a chapel service, and so we ministered to those guys. And one of the young men named Stanley uh, was 18 years old, and he and a group of guys um, were out robbing, um, you know, doing some robbery, stealing things, and uh, they had a gun with them. And, um, a man ran out in the alley and told him to stop, and he turned and shot him. Um, it was happened to be the retired assistant uh, district attorney that he shot and killed. And so we were there with Sammy in the, in the jail. You know, he's awaiting sentencing to the county jail, and uh, his trial comes. And, uh, and, and, and Sammy was one of those guys that you met him. You know, I mean, what God did in his heart. And Sammy was the first guy I met. Uh, my friend Ozzy did go and you know, went in with Ozzy. He was the first guy I met. And you just, if you just met this guy, you would never think that he was capable of being that bright, smiling, loved God. God has done a, a real work in his heart. It's more than jail has to do, but it's solid in his heart. It's real, and it's growing in the Lord. But you never know how they're going to respond when the trial comes up, and uh, you know, and, they, and they're going through all the, you know, all of that, and there's the evidence, and what the judge is going to say, and, and what the jury is going to say. And, and at first, he was uh, he was sentenced to death, but they overturned that because of some things that happened, um, and now he's having to life sentence in prison. But let me tell you about even the, the sinful suffering of that family. My friend Ozzy, who was a character witness for Stanley, because he had kind of been overseeing him grow spiritually. And so there's the sentencing phase, and they bring character witnesses in there. And Ozzy gets to get up on stand, and, on stand, and basically he gives the gospel presentation about what had happened to Stanley while he's in jail. He's accepted Christ, it's real to him. And, um, and so Ozzy gets to, to, to basically this guy's surrendered his life to Christ. And so afterwards, obviously the family is the widow and her, some of her staff, I think three adult children um, that are there in, in the midst of all this. And so Ozzy, he wants to, he kind of wants to go over to her and just say, you know, although I was a character witnessing this, doesn't diminish, you know, the death of your husband at all. And he's trying to just kind of say that. So he walked over, and Ozzy did funny, you know, Ozzy's about six, five, and he walks up with this little lady and he's like, ma'am, I just want you to know, although I was a character witness, and, and as, as he's trying to explain, she just grabs him and hugs him, and, and she said, if my husband's death brought this man's salvation, it's worth it. So Ozzy said, here's this little old lady in me, and I'm just weeping on her shoulder in the courtroom. So I couldn't believe what she was saying. He said, she said, we belong the church nearby, she said, he has, uh, this young man, we've been praying for him, he's been on our prayer list, we've been praying for him and praying for him, and we have prayer groups praying for him all the time. And, and then she said, me, me and my children want you to tell him, and they're all in the back nodding and, and in agreement, just to tell him that we forgive him, and that we're glad that he has come to know the Lord. So I got to be with Ozzy when he broke that news to him. Cool 
because again, Ozzy was prepping me. He said, I don't know how famous because you know we got the death penalty, and he said, I've seen people really bad. You know, people were just like signing up for jailhouse Jesus. In other words, he just took my heart and getting out of this mess. And he said, I've seen him turn and he's mad and I don't want your God and uh, because God didn't get me out of it. So we went and uh, and Ozzy was there and he said, How are you doing? He said, I'm good. I'm good. I'm very good. I would rather be free in here than now free out there. So Ozzy told him what the lady said was tears. It was just a beautiful thing. Can God redeem when we're suffering from someone else's sin? Yes. Number two is this consequential suffering. Not over sin, just some of the stuff of life. When I was about 17, there's a friend of mine, and from Tennessee, and I don't know how it is around here, what your upbringing is, but there's something to be said, you know, when you watch out, somebody's going to break something, and they say, hey, watch this. That is usually the precursor of something either entertaining or painful or both that's getting ready to happen. So I was about 17 years old, and when I was a good friend of mine, and, uh, you know, we were 17 and filled with ourselves, and we would take turns doing this, where he would just run up and he'd go, leapfrog. And I would just run, and I would, you know, and he'd swing up as he's standing upright and, and grab his shoulder, and I would swing over him, boom, and land. We just thought we were cool, like Spider-Man. And we, we didn't know when each other was going to do it. We just got, boom, leapfrog, boom, you know, and, and, and there we go. One time we're at this camp. And there's a bunch of girls around, and man, that really edges you up, you know, like, you know, step two people up. I'm going really high. You know, um, so he's got these girls around, and he goes, leapfrog, and I'm like, oh, watch this. And my thigh catches the back of your shoulder, and I do one of those, and I break my wrist. There is suffering to consequences. At that moment, wasn't the time to talk, why? Why did I break my wrist? And he was like, well, the human being probably wasn't intended to leapfrog other, over other human beings. Some people might say, well, that does sound like this. It sounds like a sense of pride, maybe. That may be. But I'm talking about not over just some of the stuff about high-risk working environment. When Think back in the old days when, you know, when the coal mines were really going in. They had lung problems, and a lot of those guys died of lung disease and they had horrible lung problems. Well, it was not because of sin, it was the work environment they were in. When people work in high-risk situations. There's sports injuries. You know, when people go out and they're competing at a hard pace, and you think of, you know, contact sports. However, who knows what the most dangerous sport is in the United States? Give you five dollars if you can come. Cheerleading. Everybody says no. The cheerleading competitions when they throw those girls like way, way higher than they could be thrown. Yeah, there are more sports injuries in cheerleading than there are in football. There's a little nugget of trivia for you. But you know, people don't go out and say, "I'm hoping to break my leg today," or "I think I will," and I'm going to play anyway. They compete, and again, it just happens. Or driving in bad weather, driving while sleeping. It's not simple to be sleepy, and, but it's like driving, I think I can make it. I think I can get there, and it's snowing, and well, I think we can make it, and we slide off, and you know, sometimes that can be bad, or maybe it's just, you know, the headache of like 
punching your car up and having to have it fixed and the financial things that go with that. Sometimes it's not taking care of yourself and your body pays for it later. Most of us in those situations, that we, we don't think God is to blame. And then we can say, well, you know, maybe, you know, others would have given me a different job and they have to work in that environment or something like that. But a lot of times we, we don't really blame God. But even when we deal with these consequences, something is still hard, isn't it? And that leads me to the third one that's kind of the, probably the one with the biggest question mark. Mysterious suffering. The things that don't make human sense. A child born with a disease. A child born confused. As we talked with him and Allie a few weeks ago, a child died suddenly with no explanation. Infertility. You're doing what you know what, what is right and you you know, like even taking care of yourself and you still get some sort of disease. And birth defects, deformity, miscarriage. Those things that we just do not get in this life. These are the ones that we can tend to want to blame God for. God, I, I love you and yet this is happening. It's also a place where comparison happens. Why, why God, won't you give us children and we want them and there are people that are abusing their children and they keep having them. Why, God, this and not this? Why do I have to endure? Why do my loved one and then someone else, they seem to be doing this? That's what Asaph said in Psalm, 90, um, Psalm 73. Why does the wicked seem to prosper and we're kind of going through the leader here, God? What's up with this? Why me and not someone else? If we aren't careful, this can lead us to the greatest mental, emotional, spiritual torment. And so again, the tendency is we look for something or someone to blame. Was it my sin or someone else's sin? I've had to talk to people that have gone through that. Is he dealing with me on some sin in my past? Is he bringing that up? Am I still paying for it? Here's the thing about sin. If God dealt with us directly, directly on the issue of sin, with His holiness, He would just destroy us all. Right? Because the, the Bible says that we have all sinned and fall short of His standard. We fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6 just says that the wages of sin, the payment, our just reward for that is death. And so if you just simply dealt with us on sin, we would destroy it. And none of us are exempt from that. Now, obviously, there are times when God deals with us in our sin. He lovingly convicts us. We're responding correctly. We repent. We don't have to walk in torment. If there was a sin in your past that you've repented for, God's not still going to beat you over the head with that. As far as the east is from the west, still has to be removed our sins from us. And so there are times when that he might deal with our sin. And there might be times, again, that, 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 that there was suffering as a result of sinful suffering. But when we repent, God can redeem that. We're forgiven. Again, sometimes the consequence of that sin is always against the restoration. 
Some people say, well, sometimes, do we lack faith? Yes. But if we walk with Him, He shows us and He brings us place, again, to restoring our faith in Him. Jesus even tried to diminish the idea. He said, if you just have faith like a mustard seed, that's a very small amount. And see, what I think is happening is we have faith in faith, and Jesus is trying to say, it's not faith in faith, it's faith in Him and who He is. So we've got to muster up this faith if you really believe and if you really pray and profess and speak and this and this and then suffering still comes, man, we're left really saying, what just happened? And God said, you were more focused on the faith than you were on me. Focus on me. So in those moments, the enemy comes and tries to torment our mind. Jesus, and when we belong to Christ, we can redeem even for suffering because of sin and its consequences. Now, why do I say this? Because all suffering and the cause of suffering is that we live in a broken and fractured world. That's, that is the, that's the truth of it. We live in a fallen, broken, fractured world. It wasn't always broken. Genesis 1 and 2, we have the account that God creates the world, and He creates the, you know, the earth and the oceans and the animals, the plants, the mountains, all of, it, all of that, and then human life, man and woman. Everything He creates, what does He say when He creates it? And it was good. He saw that it was good. The word good, you know what that means? It's not like, you know, it's like we say, you know, how you doing? I'm good. It's not like that. The word there is this. It's in sync. It's in rhythm. It's as it should be. It's flowing as it should be. God saw that it was right. It's the way the Creator intended it to be, and it's flowing, and it's operating how it should be. It was good. There's rhythm, there's flow to the, all of creation. It was a masterpiece. It was, everything was in harmony with each other. And then he creates humans. You ever, you ever had the big question of God, you know, this and that? Why did you create us? Why did you make us in the first place? You know why he made us? Because he loved us. Love. He didn't need us. He doesn't need us. If you ever think that God needs you, you are deluded. God doesn't need us. He is self-sufficient. He is sufficient in all that He is and all that He brings to the table. It's absolute perfection. And He makes us because He loves us. He wanted relationship with people. And He put them in the garden. Not for what they could give to Him, but for Him to love them receive His love, love Him back, and then love others, and ultimately to bring glory to Him in all that they do, how they live their lives, and what they, how they operate. But in that, He created them with free will, and parameters, and standards, and then we could get into the theological discussion of why give free will. We're not going to talk about that. That's a different subject for a different time. Ultimately, he didn't want us to just be made to go through the motions. In a gift of relationship, there is free will to accept free will. It's a gift to not be dictated, but to be in a loving relationship with God and live according to His ways. 
And so He created Adam and Eve to, to be loved by Him, to receive His love, to love Him back, and to bring glory to Him, but to live according to His ways, ways that are good, in sync, in rhythm, the way it was intended, ways that bring life and not death, ways that bring joy and not heartache, ways that would keep Him in harmony and unity with them. So everything He did was good. But with that, free will means that they would also have the freedom not to live this way. And they could choose their own way. And so that's what happens in Genesis 3 shows up. And it's bad news for everybody. The enemy comes and he doesn't just tempt them with fruit. Sometimes we get lost about the fruit. The tree with the fruit. Was it an apple? Was it a peach? I don't know what that fruit was. It, it was simply the object for which God put there in His sovereignty to give them an opportunity of free will. You can have everything else, everything that's good, don't touch this. It's interesting in Genesis 3, we have them hanging out with that thing that they're not supposed to touch. That's all they're talking Gravitate towards what we shouldn't do. They were to manage what God had given them, tending this beautiful, good, in-sync place. And the enemy came, and he had some allowance to tempt them. There's an allowance. Does God cause suffering? No. There was an allowance because of the broken world. It's what he allowed Job. He allowed the enemy to touch Job. We'll get into that at a later time, but he was allowed there. And he tempted them. What did he tempt them with? Again, it was not a piece of fruit. It was, he was tempting them to reject God's ways, God's design, God's standards, God's goodness, and become God themselves. That's ultimately, you'll be like God in knowing good and evil. You'll make decisions for yourself. You'll be the master of your own faith. You call the shots, not them. That was what he tempted them with, and that's what they into. We know better than God. We'll choose our own way. And when they did that, the perfect was broken. That which was working, sinking in rhythm was now fractured. The earth itself now is a broken place, and we are a broken people. And we're still suffering the consequences of that decision. All of our temptations today is where we surrender to God because His ways are good. His ways are true. Yes, does He have standards? Yes, but He does it in love. Does He have parameters? Yes, He gives them in love. And the temptation for us is to become the master of our own faith, the God of our own life, and say, Nope, I don't want the way you do it. I don't want you. I'll just make my own decision. Or, I like you, and will you stay next to me while I make my own decisions? You look a lot like a Christian and not be a Christian. You're still calling your own shots. Total surrender and saying, God, I give you my life. You lead, not me. Here's what Paul says about all that. Romans 8. You know, look at this. Yeah. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against his will, all creation is subject to God's curse. So when they made that decision, there was a curse that came upon the land, to creation itself. But with eager hope, we greatly look forward to the day when we will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So he's saying there is going to be death and decay. Moving to the next slide. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. 
the new believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us in the foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from this sin and suffering. So there's a groaning, there's a suffering in our bodies. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full righteousness as adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. Guess what? The new bodies don't happen here. The promise of redemption is a new body, but we don't get it until then. Next slide. We were given this hope when we were saved. We already have something we don't need to hope for, but we, if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we just patiently and confidently. So Paul's saying suffering reminds us that, of the longing that the earth has and that we have to be made right again. As he's saying, the earth is growing. And we see that growing play out in our bodies in the earth. He's saying suffering is real, but it isn't forever. It's not the end of our story when we belong to Christ because he says there's hope in that. Although we're groaning, we have a new body that we're promised coming. So then are we responsible for our actions since we are suffering the consequences of having sin? Yes, we do suffer those consequences. And we are responsible because we have the same opportunity again to choose God's ways or reject Him. We're called to be loved by God, love Him back, love, love others, and bring glory to Him. That's our calling as people. Ways, the, the ways of God that are good, that bring life, that bring joy, hope, and peace. Or we can live however we want to live. We can reject Him. We have free will. We can become our own God, our own master. If we suffer from being our own God, that is sinful consequence of suffering. But again, there is still that suffering that is simply a result that we live in a broken, fractured world that is groaning that Paul described, and that we are suffering. Does God leave us to ourselves to try to figure all of this out? No, He does not. He did something about it. And we're going to talk about that next week. But Paul talks about this reality of groaning. Sin caused this fracture in the rhythm of God's design. Because of that fractured state, we live in a broken, fallen world, waiting to be made right again. It won't be made right until Christ returns. And so then there are manifestations of it. There are illnesses that we deal with. We groan in our bodies. There are storms because the earth itself is groaning. That's why we have natural disasters and tsunamis and tornadoes and hurricanes that take lots of like earthquakes. And it's just, it's literally, we are seeing what happens to all of describing this groaning that has happened because we live in a fallen world. And here's the thing he does not prevent those things. Sometimes he does. But sometimes he does not. And there is coming a day when he will make, make things right. Sometimes there's intervention by him. We can ask for that intervention. There's nothing wrong with praying. And how do we pray in faith? We pray knowing that he's in control. Here's faith. God, you are sovereign. You are in control no matter what is happening. And yes, God, we're asking. We're asking you to intervene. But we understand that you may not. That's why Jesus said when he was said, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
on earth as it is in heaven. We can have confidence to pray the will of God. Some people have taught this, and this is this is this is doctrinal error that we somehow have power and authority to like speak to storms and tell them to go away. We do not. If we did, we're doing a lousy job at it. We're really, really bad. Because I've seen a lot of storms kill a lot of people, destroy lots of Christians, the godly and the ungodly alike. And then we can step over and say, well, God brings that sometimes to, to deal with sin. And, and then we look at the Hurricane Katrina, and it devastated all these people. There were tons of churches that were leveled, people were killed. And the French Quarter, probably the most wicked place down there, kind of the most vile place, was untouched. So if that's the case, then God's aim is off. And we have to be very careful. I was in a conversation with somebody one time when we were talking about a bad storm, and they said, well, we can just go out there and tell that storm to go away. We have power and authority. You know, so I didn't want to get into a theological discussion at the point at that moment, but I'm thinking, man, if that's the case, why are you standing here and you're doing a lousy job? Go tell storms to go stand on the beach and have all the people that are like-minded and tell storms to go away. They're coming on shore. We have hurricanes. We have earthquakes because the earth is groaning because it's fractured. And it will be made right again by the one who will come, the Lamb of God, who takes the real sins of the world, will make it right one day. And we can ask sometimes, we can say, God, please, we're asking that you remove that storm. And he does sometimes. But again, it's that comparison of why does he heal one and not the other? And the torment of saying, well, they must not lack faith. They must lack faith. And I told you about my mother-in-law who prayed and prayed and prayed. And we had another friend of our family where this lady prayed. There was fasting and praying and praying and praying and words spoken and this and that. And she died. And one of the last things that she said to her family is, I'm so disappointed that God didn't heal me. That was one of the last things they heard from her mouth. Because she hung on just to healing. Healing was done the only answer to her. Instead of Jesus being the answer. Instead of Jesus, God, you can redeem this. I don't get it. I, I have questions, but you are good. And this is a woman of great faith. And I'm try, trying to paint her in a, a bad light. It was, she was a woman of faith that loved, loved Jesus and all of us. We must be very careful. Our theology and our doctrine, God, again, with the apostles, you think that he would save them if they went through brutal, horrific things. Godly people, dawning in storms, wonderful people being affected. So we've got to be very careful to understand that we live in a fractured, fallen world. We can ask, but we can, the faith is trusting some people might say, well, Jesus spoke to the storm and where the disciples rebuked their faith. I don't think it was telling them you lack faith because you could have said that to the storm. I think he said you lack faith because I was in the boat with you all along. You had me. Your eyes were on the storm instead of me. So in closing, I want to take just a few minutes to look at a redemptive look at suffering. What can God do? Let's look at John chapter 9. So, 
passage that's well known that Jesus is about Jesus having this interaction. As he went along and saw a man blind from birth, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man was clearly saying he was born blind. Here's the, the question that everyone has who's to blame? Was it his parents? Was it him? What did Jesus say? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the disciples had that gnawing question that most had, who sinned? What or who, what or who should we blame for this? And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, he was not saying, Jesus was not saying that they never sinned. Because everybody's born into sin. But Jesus was saying that this blindness was not... It was not due to sin, it was, it was due to because they live in a broken, fractured, fallen world. And so, be encouraged to let that burden go when we're trying to say, well, who sinned? Was it this sin? Was it that sin? But he follows it up by saying, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So it's, Jesus was saying that blindness is the result of a fallen world, but I can redeem it when you belong to me. And so God's work can be displayed in him. So in Christ, whatever you're going through, or will go through, it's not a waste. He can work through it and in it. And the works of God can be displayed in you for the glory of God through your story. So even though the world is broken, Jesus is still there. Because of him, your suffering isn't the end of the story. And next week again, we're going to jump into that. Now, he healed this man, and he can heal. But most of the time, he reveals his life in and through us as we walk through it. And I'm thinking, what's the greater miracle? That somebody's instantaneously healed, yes, to God be the glory. Or they walk through a lifetime of suffering with their eyes on Jesus, to God be the glory. Johnny Garrison, one time, a guy came up to her and said, if you had enough faith, you could get out of that wheelchair. And she has that happen a lot. And she said, if you, have, if you had enough faith, you could live in this wheelchair and keep your eyes on Jesus. Good point. The woman that believes in you. There's a greater miracle. So let's go to the next one. I'm going to show you a few pictures. Who sins that brings these people into circumstances? Everybody knows Johnny. At 17 years old, she died. Dies, done something that she had done 100 times. We're out in the ocean. She dies and breaks her neck. Who sins? What was going on? And she has lived a life of being paralyzed from the neck down. She has a worldwide ministry touching millions of people for the gospel of Jesus that she would not have had if she would have broken her neck. Most of you know Nick, born without limbs. Who sin was that? It was a birth defect. He was born with no arms and no legs. Now he has a ministry that is reaching millions of people across the globe for the gospel of Jesus that he would never have done if he was born with arms and legs. The last guy is Ryan Bomberger. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, Dean and I and our family got to meet him when we lived in Virginia. Ryan's birth mom was brutally raped and attacked. And uh, she was pregnant because of that. She chose to 
carried the Prime Minister full term, and he is there because he decided to do that. He was adopted by a family, and now he has a ministry worldwide, a pro-life ministry. He speaks all of the places he's spoken before Congress. He's also has a ministry uh, reaching in and mentoring to at-risk youth. And he's doing a mighty work. And he himself was the consequence of sinful suffering someone sinned against his birth mom. But can God redeem? And there are hundreds and thousands of stories like this. And you can have a story like that too. God can redeem our suffering and display his words in the midst of it. And so don't lose hope. We do live in a fallen, broken world we're all a part of that reality. But here's the thing, God doesn't leave us alone. As He created mankind because He loves us, His love is still at work. And He did something about the brokenness because of His love. He did something about the brokenness because of His love. Next week, we're going to talk about that week's day. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you for your power and for who you are. Lord, thank you that even in the midst of a world that has fallen, that is groaning, as Paul said, is fractured, and we here are groaning, and, uh, and, and we long for the new bodies, and we long for to be made right. The earth longs to be made right, to be brought back into rhythm again. Lord, today we look to you and we understand, God, that in the midst of suffering that you are at work. That, Lord, there's different causes and reasons why there's suffering. We understand that there's this reality of suffering, but God, also there is a reality to your grace and a reality to your love and a reality to your redemption. That in you, that is not suffering, it's not the end of our story. You can redeem all things. So, Lord, we are asking for your grace and asking again for your comfort. Lord, for those that maybe are dealing with sinful suffering, God, that you would accept them, that they could know and have peace of mind that if when they repent, God, it is your cleansed. Not to live in torment. And you've removed that sin. Lord, again, for those who have gone through suffering and have a hundred questions, God, we're not going to sit down and try to. You figure out all the answers to those questions, but God, that in you, that you can redeem, that you can give, make their mess a masterpiece. 